0: Hey, this is Peter Masana, and you're listening to apparently the Sassholes, which could also be the Sassholes.
1: Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge with decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no-BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market teams start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks 1 to 3, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week 4, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks 5 to 7, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week 8, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at Winalytics.com, ask for Brent, and say Big Pete sent you. We got some shout-outs to do. John Legatuda, new gig, accounting executive at Dice. What's up, buddy? Shannon Pope, old school, new gig, accounting advisor at One Rock Capital Partners. Michelle Kennedy-Dumel, four years at DocuSign. Steve Dunnigan, new gig, VP of sales, EMEA at Lakeside Software. Jesus Daniel Tovar, three years international paper. Sarah Mitchell, how you doing, my friend? Three years at DocuSign. Gabby Stellhorn, one year at Slack. Deshaun Carr, what's up, buddy? Five years at DNC Transport and Logistics Limited. Michael Ebonese, five years at Core Space Technologies. Brent Wise, promoter to senior manager at DraftKings. Robert McDonald, new gig, table shift manager at Caesars Entertainment. Ida Bryce, how you doing? At a new gig, senior director over at Zebra Technologies. Chris Bogdan, what's up, old school q 4 n MVP at MuleSoft, and we got some happy birthdays, Lisa Welco, Nick Logan, and Knight, and of course, none other than the 30th birthday of Maxwell Janssen's, proud but not surprised, happy birthday boy, another spin around the sun. Jason Ferrara, who is this guest yes. that you have brought before us here?
2: Hey, we've got Peter Masana here today. Peter and I worked together um, for I'm a up. couple of years. And yes, and it was very difficult for both of us. Um, but I thought we'd we'd invite Peter here to talk about all things RevOps and.
1: Outstanding. So, like CEO life, C level life, all, all that. Yes. I'll interview I'll, with it, the customer.
0: I'm filled with stuff and things, so you
1: could just shoot at the hip. Oh, Peter, welcome welcome aboard to the Sassholes. It's going to be a fun ride. Belt yourself in. We will edit most of this, depending on how much Jamie talks.
3: <laughs> yeah, Jamie I haven't Carter. been here for a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, you've been in kickoff, man. Nothing like a three-week kickoff.
2: <laughs> How's that doing? It's a long, it's a long kickoff.
3: Long kickoff. Are,
1: are the sales just going through the roof, man?
3: We had our best quarter ever last quarter. <laughs>
1: really
3: what metric my metric which is however i want to spend the numbers
1: (laughs) jimmy johns
3: yeah yeah the
1: most most jimmy johns ordered
3: yeah
2: well i was just going to say to 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 peter you know we're we're sitting here making fun of jamie about about kickoff but we've all worked businesses that have had kickoffs so like peter when we worked together we we kind of did that what's your thought about kickoff are they do you like them? Do you not need them? Do you want them? How do you how do you think about kickoffs and, and organizing a business around that?
0: Well, number one, they're boondoggles. We just accept that. What is a boondoggle? <laughs> I believe it's a waste of time where you get drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah, <everybody was. laughs> however, however, <clears throat> there is benefits to boondoggles. So while it is a boondoggle, you do build camaraderie. I cannot say that word, so you can you know over for that, please. And then there is also you know that trust and just getting to know somebody so you just accept that it's not really a business oriented it's more of a get to know each other hang out build that level of trust so i hate him and i love him
1: yeah i think our background uh was influenced by um the telecom industry and they, they would bring everybody together to uh bring everybody into one place and at the time let's see that's the early '90s, the internet wasn't really going, so you had to bring everybody t- together in one place, centralize the information, deliver the message, you know, uh, you know, all at once. Then this thing called the interweb happened, and now it seems like uh, there's there's more of these gatherings than than ever. And what I can't understand is, and Peter, hopefully you can shed some light on this unknowledgeable soul, January. The, according to rule 72 is a rule 72 or 78 carney
3: 78 i looked it up that,
1: did it okay so i was <laughs> off by six so the revenue that you generate in january that is the most valuable revenue of the year is that correct carney correct so why I would you t- why do you take everybody off the floor and get them smashed and in the worst case scenario they do something stupid then you got to fire one of your, your your people how that why is this happening still? I'll hang up and listen for my answer. <laughs> I can't I don't I don't know. Uh you know, no CFO
0: likes it. No, they don't like to spend and yes, the rule seventy-eight to January is most important, followed by February all the way around to December. So in reality you should be doing it in December. Uh however, the rule seventy eight applies if you started in January, or December to the next December. So it really doesn't necessarily matter if you don't care about the early calendar. So uh, yeah, no, it's it okay, it doesn't really make sense. And you know, the internet's a nice you know, like you can disseminate the information today, but you couldn't play golf. Well, I guess you could play golf over the internet, it's not gonna be as much fun. Um, I guess you could drink over the internet. I don't know, yeah, that seems weird too. A virtual, virtual
3: kickoff makes zero sense. Like yeah. to me, that is a complete yeah. and utter waste of time. Yeah, at least an in person kickoff, you get some camaraderie, you meet people for the first time, especially because. A lot of these people don't see each other besides the four quadrants or five quadrants
2: or ten quadrants on a
3: Zoom call. So it's good to get people together, but doing a virtual kickoff is just a complete and utter waste of time um, in my
2: opinion. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It's hard. I mean, you get a a bigger meeting, this many people, it's hard to deal with.
3: Yeah, and it is a boondogling, and it's expensive because you got to fly everyone into town and get them all together and this, that, and the other thing. I think they should limit kickoffs to like one day. One night, two days, get out of there.
1: And what I can't figure is if you're going to do this thing, I haven't been the one where, you know, I haven't been one in a while, but I haven't seen any like surveys that go out. Hey, what'd you think? What did you like of it? What should we cut out? What should we put in? Cause you don't get any feedback of what's going on. How do you know it's worth it or not Ferrara?
2: Yeah. I, it's tremendously self-serving. I mean, I, you know, when I've done them and even Peter, when we got groups together, I think we did. I think we asked people, but I'm not 100 percent sure that their responses really informed what we were going to do again. I think we it was more like, yeah, well, great. I'm glad everybody liked that part. And this part we already knew sucked. So we got to make that part better. I, I just don't know that there's a lot to do in surveying people either.
0: Well, we did we did a retro on our the last kickoff. We did one before you joined as well. But the last one with, that you at, we did a retro as a, not as a, we didn't ask the employees. It's part of the case is you don't necessarily want their opinion because they probably don't like things that you want to disseminate to them and you're not going to take it out. So you always have to be careful when you ask them like, hey, do you want? And they're like, oh, I want you to remove all this, this and this. And you're like, well, shit, I can't remove that. So I'm not going to listen to you. Now you're going to hate me. But we did as a management team, we did a retrospective whereby we talked about all the things that didn't go well, like dumb things. You know, bringing lunch and forgetting that there's a vegan in the in the in the bunch, um, you know, to be like people not prepared and telling them they're not prepared. So I think we did a good job at the management of soliciting our own feedback, not feedback from necessarily the people who joined, Um, because always be careful when you ask for feedback.
1: Yeah, don't uh, pay attention to what they say. Pay attention to what they do. Is that right? So, okay, we got the kickoffs, and we had our survey finish up for February. We, uh, it just got done a couple of days ago. We asked everybody, hey, man, did you get your quota yet for 2023? 63%, something like that, said, uh, nope. <laughs> Does that surprise anybody? that isn't there? doesn't have their fiscal year on February 1st, Carney.
3: I think with this macro, it doesn't surprise anybody.
1: Yeah,
0: Nah, everybody's too scared as to what to put down on the piece of paper right now. You don't know what the year is going to look like.
3: I know. I know what our quotas are, and I think we're scared to deliver. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs>
1: that
2: is, that's such a vote of confidence.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, it's a common theme. If if yeah. somebody's been listening to our show for a while, we, we keep doing this because it's a constant problem that's been going on. And, you know, companies like to preach transparency. And when the number comes from the board, then gets to the, you know, CEO, CRO, and it gets passed down the line. You know, everybody puts a little wiggle room. And then whoever's at the bottom of that uh, pyramid is getting.
3: <laughs> I don't think there's any wiggle room anymore, Pete. I mean... you don't think so. I think when the economy goes the way it's gone now, I, yeah. I do think the shock of the economy is over. Uh, there's layoffs occurring every day, and I don't think people are like, "Oh my God, there's another layoff." I think it's just sort of the normal, right? I mean, Peter, you could probably attest to this. It's like I think people are realizing that the economy maybe the bottom hasn't been reached, but you can see it, and uh, things are starting to maybe move a little bit better. Not as great. It's not going to be as. It's not going to be booming. But at least there's some economic So uh, you're saying story. so you're
1: saying, Carney, the CEO and the, and the guy at the bottom of the the sales manager, the frontline sales manager, they're gonna share the same uh, risk. Is that what you're saying?
3: It's not gonna be that big of a gap.
1: Okay. So pretty close is what you're saying. <laughs> sure. So thank you. Thank you for showing up, Carney. Sure.
2: <laughs> His work, I don't his work know what you want to say. He's like, now sitting back. This is going to be used against me. Uh,
1: get this back on the, tra- <laughs> on the train tracks, so, would you?
2: Yeah, so I guess I, I think, Peter, we have this recurring theme. Like the CEO gets a number and then everybody, everybody's number gets added to by the time it gets to the person with the least amount of control and possibly the least amount of responsibility. Their number is giant compared to what the CEO is. So, hey. like, what are your thoughts about that?
0: so the last number i got well if i go back to 2022 forget about 2023 back to 2022 yeah the board gave me i gave them 35 percent growth they told me now you, you could do 40 and then they said well you know actually you could, should do price increases so you could do 43 percent. you do 5 percent price increase half it'll stick so you know do go for 40 and you'll get free three because you just increase prices yeah. um so Um, But I actually took the other approach. Uh, I told the team it was 40. I took that three out of the play, um, figuring we could just get there because we always overachieve because I don't want to scare them. Um, Our quotas were built to the 40. Now what the sales leader did downward, I don't know if they, they didn't change the quota uh, because the quota was delivered out of the CFO. So um, I didn't fluff it. And, uh, Truth be told, we hit 35, which is the exact number I told them we would.
1: In, ca- in case any other boards are out there listening.
0: Right. Oh, oh.
2: right. I hit the number. I hit the number I said
1: I would. Hit the number. Actually, I did the
0: same thing in 21 wow. and, uh, and almost in, in 20. We reset it midway through the year because of COVID impact. We hit our reset number. So I hit all three numbers exactly where I said, and they weren't what the board necessarily wanted, but it was exactly what the business could do what the board wants and what the business can do or not the exactly. the. the same. I was
1: going to say how valuable now I'm not talking about any boards you've dealt with Peter, but based on what you've heard, uh, how valuable are board members uh, to direct the guidance of a company? Well, this could uh, limit my future. career potential. <laughs> we'll edit this out in post. Exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, you know, I, I think there's some, they, they do, can bring some good perspective and challenge there there's good there's bad i think they, they start with the good what's the good how good uh the good is challenging i mean yeah they challenge to do better so i mean the, the take is fair if you say you're going to do 35 and you barely miss and you do 33 let that's a miss but if you say well let, let's shoot for 40 and you get like 36 or 37 or even 35 you're still better potentially off. So that, that stretch is is good. They also bring fresh pers- perspectives when they can ask intelligent questions. Not all board members can, depending on how far removed they are from the business. I think where they go a little haywire or, or don't provide a lot of value is, and I've done this too, um, I've been on boards. It's sort of easy to oversimplify. Um, and pretend that people are like chess pieces. Well, just fire Bob, and it, it, you'll be so much better off. Yeah, but Bob's best friends with Sally, Jim, Jane. Oh yeah, and he's going to take a bunch of customers. Oh no, that don't worry about it. Well, I'm going to worry about it. So I think that's so they oversimplify, and you know, it, it, we all all CEOs and probably all leaders wish that we could just move the pieces around. We know that this person she isn't doing a great job and they should move to a different position, but they're not willingly going to do it. Um if they were a chess piece you just move them and you get in your better yeah. position for checkmate. Um so I think that's part of the problem. I'd say that's the biggest flaw of a board is the oversimplification of people.
1: But Carney brought up this term socialization of numbers. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh When you're talking about this 35, 40%, does the CEO, not saying you, just saying in general, because you've heard things, does the CEO lobby each board member individually just, you know, to feel them out before they go into the meeting? Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) I've I've maybe had a
1: board member that if you took him
0: for wine, you might've got a better answer. And then when you get to the board meeting, they might be a little bit more on your side. So, you know. Okay. Fair enough. It's, uh, you know persuasion. To, it's persuasion. It's persuasion, but everybody does it. I mean, the the, the sales leaders per, trying to persuade and jockey, and you know, everybody wants to get somewhere different.
1: It's just unfortunate it, you're dealing with 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 people and these subjective things come into play. But that's the reality. Who picks these bored people, guys? Where do they come from? Well, hold, on, hold on, let's back up. You don't like. <laughs>
0: Humans are subjective in nature, so as soon as you bring the human factor in and you stop, yeah. You know, if it was just spreadsheets and chess pieces, then you wouldn't have to worry about any of this. But humans are involved in. So is going to
3: be the new board for oh, every Jesus. company?
0: No. <laughs> Why
2: not? Those would be the those will be the only humans left, and everything you else see, will be that. Uh, so the board members will still consent to be be around. Everything Bob else, Bob would be, be gone.
3: Here. If Chad Who, GBT was here, whoever Bob was in your
2: world.
1: So, so where do the board members come from? How do they get on board? Who picks them? How does this go down? What, what, it, what is supposed to happen? What really happens? Anybody can answer this question. guys.
3: I think Peter knows best.
1: Well, I mean,
0: I've been on PE and or I've been involved in PE and VCs. Uh, I'd say in a PE environment, it's, Pretty much the PE firm uh, that, that's on there, and, and maybe a banker or two uh, I've seen on it. But the PE has all controlling interest. So if they own the whole, wholly or close to wholly, um, like I know in my instances of three, they owned everything. They had all decision making. I was on the board, but I had no power. Um, so it doesn't, and there were others, but typically it came down to two principals on the board. This is all so you- three boards.
1: So so you bring a private equity. Does the way it work is that uh, whoever the CFO is, that's the most important person. Not all private equity, because they're not all cutters. But generally, you, you get a financial person in, and that person runs the show. And they, is that how, how it goes, Carney?
3: Well, I mean, the PE firms I dealt with, they're all about finance. So finance carries the big stick because they want all the reporting i mean they, they, they're not not strategic but at the end of the day you agree to a number they're going to cut to get to that number even if like it, it is it is chess pieces to them like yeah, the number by 10 they're going to be like
0: great great yeah and, it, and then you take the vc which is the opposite which is you know, like here's cash grow um you know burn it and burn it as fast as possible because the rule of 78. So get it get it early, get it fast. We'll worry about cutting later if we need to. And, um, you know, definitely different perspectives come out. Uh-huh. I would say, though, on the VC, the, that, that was a little different. The VC was a, an investor. PE, in my case, of three different companies, they owned pretty much 100% of the company, or at least over 51% of the company said so controlling interest. And the VC, they were just an investor. So the board makeup there was very different. Um, it actually was more lenient or more lean towards management than uh, the VC because they didn't have the controlling stake. I guess it comes down to whoever has the controlling stake.
1: So an example could be, I don't know, anybody here, is Salesforce and uh, Benioff? He's got some people nipping at his ankles.
0: Uh, yeah. It's public companies where you don't have, no,
1: no, nobody's nobody's got controlling stake
0: except for, yeah, well, Facebook and Google because the way their class of shares sets up. But majority of public companies, yeah, you don't, th- those boards are truly independent. Those are real, I'm going to say real boards. <laughs> it's going to sound <laughs> I, I, think, I think you get more of the, the, the true sense of a board when you get to that where it's outside and you know there is multiple management uh, on the board, as well, well as. Uh, I guess where I'm
1: going, where I'm going at it is you. You could uh, there's VCs, there's private equity. What what business cycle is your particular business in? Is it growth, cash cow, or is you know is it getting chopped up to pieces? It really all depends. So if you're going to go work at a company, you but this is the kind of you got to know the situation that you're you're going into. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you better know you better know the money and the point of the money that's in there. Uh and the stage it's in. If it's brand new, uh, there could be cuts if it's PE. Uh is it a PE roll up? Or are they gonna roll you in six other companies? Or are you your job potentially gonna become redundant? Um, that's everybody from the CEO down, by the way. The CEO could get replaced by the an acquisition, whereby the inbound CEOs liked better. In that position, I was the I was on the good side of that once. You if you don't know who the owners are then yeah, you're at a disadvantage.
1: Are things too complicated in sales, guys? Yes. Chief revenue officer, chief sales officer, customer. What <laughs> when do you think would start lopping some of this stuff
2: out? Peter's answer is right, yes. But I, I mean, I would argue that things are easily overcomplicated uh, in general because what starts to happen, I think, is you start worrying more about when quotas are going to be delivered and the actual training of your frontline salespeople. And so like the simple view in my mind is like, are your salespeople trained to sell? Do they understand the product? Do they understand the customer? Can they sell the product? And then you layer the other stuff on. But I think where we get into trouble, where I've gotten into trouble and I've seen companies get into trouble is it's more exciting and compelling to figure out the math equation than it is to make sure people can sell successfully now they go hand in hand but still you got a bunch no, of people who can't sell
0: you're screwed that's a top down versus bottom up too so you're just yeah. is somebody telling you telling you what your quote is or are you yeah. uh, saying what you could actually sell i would also add though i think with 2023, one of the things you may see happen, especially as things get tough and if there are, you know, as as layoffs happen, I have, I don't know if this is the case yet in some of the layoffs, but how many layers you have, and you said it's CRO, VP of sales, director of sales, and then actual people selling it. You're like, well, how many of these people do I need? I just need people selling it. So I need how many to corral my sellers? I think... If your company has a bunch of layers, I'd be a little worried if I was one of those layers. I don't know where in the mix it might happen, but you know, if I was presently running a company and we needed to cut, it'd be like, who's doing the work and then who's managing the work. Well, how many managers, um, you know, it's that, you know, standing around watching somebody dig a hole and there's six people watching and one person digging, you know, I know what's, the right, what's the
1: right ratio then uh, if, if the product's easy enough to sell, it's not complicated How many uh, how many salespeople or how many producers can uh, one leader handle now? Is it still eight to one, ten to one? I mean, ChatGPT. I mean, you don't need any.
0: No, Uh, (laughs) I don't. I I don't know how many they can handle. I think that varies by what you said, which is how if it's really easy to sell, uh, it's easy to train. Here, give
1: me what's easy to sell out there. Just throw out a brand. It's
0: got
3: to be a short sales cycle. That's easy to sell. Yeah, self signups.
0: You know, self signups where there's limited people calling in that's easy to sell you don't need you can manage multiple
3: but if it's a complicated sales cycle then you're probably talking seven to one eight to one um you know i think where you get down to i think what's going to happen in 23 is there's going to be a lot of these smaller companies they're going to be at like i don't know a single point of failure type of like they've removed so many layers that you somebody leaves or you get rid of somebody and it's not like that work gets put on someone else it actually goes away does that work is that so then you're really judging what is that person doing and is that a needed and vital role i think that's where we're we're at with a lot of the startups and, and stuff like that and is single point of failure type of reductions like which is risky because if one person leaves on their own accord you know you, that it could set the company back
0: yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and without using names, Jason will know who I'm talking about. We had some person who self-selected out. We did not ask them to leave. Uh, and, and we minimized their job or minimized the output they were doing. They were single point of failure, though. And they left in a whole slew of reporting and other things that used to happen. Suddenly didn't happen, but actually nobody knew that they were the single point of failure. It wasn't until like after September, I forget the date, September like yeah. 18th of 2022. 2021, there was no more reports because that was the day they left and they were the ones running these back end jobs. Yeah. Um, and that's true on like single point of failures are are horrible. So you try to avoid the single point of failure. Um, I definitely think the startups that are very trying to get super lean on cash are throwing that to the wind, they'll come back to bite them. We didn't even mean to do it, and it bit us. I mean, yeah, Jason, I right. was hearing any reports.
1: So the the minute that you know layoffs and you know uh, recession, all this stuff hits the Wall Street and the New York Times. That's the minute that uh, we're starting to come out of it, which I think we're in right now. And you're not going to have enough people to produce out there. What's depending on the the company you're at? When is this rehiring or this hiring uh, going to start picking up again?
0: It way lags. So the, because the layoffs are, are way before because companies are reacting to what is said to be coming which then turns into a self fulfilling prophecy. So they actually make the recession happen because somebody said a recession may be coming. So be prepared and everybody gets prepared which they make it happen. Um, but on the flip side, uh, all companies and I've been just as guilty as anybody else, uh, uh, leverages that productivity gain that we get. So we slower we are slower at adding back than we are at cutting, thus increasing cash flows and profits. Um, it's the same thing, gas prices. They go up much faster than they come down because people are taking advantage of the, of the downward. It happens in all sorts of price increases. It's no different. Um, as a CEO, you're like, well, and you hide behind the, well, we just don't know yet. Well, we probably do know, we should be going f- forward. Um, that's true in like overhead jobs not necessarily in, in in sales I think in sales the smart people don't cut in the go to market um, thus propel the engine if I go all the way back to 2008 I had a retail business and we never cut and all other retailers were cutting and we got out we got, we knew that the world never ends. It never had. Well, I guess ice age or something like that. But I, I wasn't alive. Nor I don't think any of you. You guys look old. But I mean, Jason's old, but it's not that old. <laughs> no, um, just after I was born. Just after. The just episode. after. I mean, the, the, these cycles. I don't know the longest recession. I'm. I, I, I'm not gonna even like. I can make make up a number. and pretend I know. 18 months or something. I don't know. But they're not long enough that if as long as you have the cash, you shouldn't be cutting, uh, in sales and marketing. Thus, when you come out on the other side, you're you're. You're so much better off uh, than the people who cut, and now they got to hire. Now you got ramp times,
2: all these problems that happen. Well, Peter, we've we've talked before about not over hiring, right? Like there there is a there is a fine line. You don't want to cut people, but you also don't want to overhire. so you don't put yourself in that position later on. So there is like this forced kind of lean behavior uh, because you're not over hiring, which is a discipline yeah. itself, I think.
0: And, and I have been in both sides. So I was uh, backed, one of the companies I worked for was backed by VC and, and I was told to hire. I hired 40 people in like eight months. Uh, we, we blew it up. I mean, we, we more than doubled revenue. Everything was great, except for <clears throat> we were burning more and more money and we were running out of money again and we had to raise again. Um, so that's, that's the, the one side. The other side is that I've been on is, you know, I, I was told I couldn't burn a dollar I had to be fiscally responsible. I couldn't make a profit and I couldn't burn so every dollar I made had to go into hiring well, it's limited and muted which causes you to be much more prescriptive on who you're going to hire because you want that return a dollar because you know you don't have that cushion um, I think that goes with the the difference between PE and DC um, in general not not always there's some PE that's much more aggressive but but also the stage of the stage of where they are in the investment I mean a PE has a typically a timeline they want to achieve you know, X return and X time.
1: Well, Peter, I thought we made things more complicated because we wanted to have more control over this stream of revenue that's coming in that we can predict it better with the uh, commit meetings, the cadence meetings and uh, all this stuff. Why does it always happen with these layoffs where it's a surprise to somebody? And when you ask a company, how do they feel about differentiation? With the exception of stack ranks, they don't like to rank somebody as a better employee than somebody else because they won't do any reviews or one-on-ones or things like that. Why is this still keep keep going on? You can answer the differentiation one first.
0: Yeah, well, I think many, I can't speak for everybody. I think many companies believe that they're differentiating and that they're you know, they're being transparent and that they know what's going, that all employees all know what's going on. Um, But I also think in fairness to CEOs, um, we are walking a fine line. A full level of transparency could mean people start quitting when you don't want them to. Uh, So you might not be able to say anything. Now saying there's going to be no layoffs is a stupid statement. Um, So there's a level of transparency you must maintain that's, awareness enough, but not too much, because you don't want, what you don't want is everybody quitting. And maybe you're waiting on the board to make a decision. And if you scare everybody and they start quitting, and then, you know, three key people quit that you're not planning the layoff because you're gonna lay off some others and you can give them more responsibility and whatnot. Um, so I think it's very difficult in downtimes as a CEO to walk the walk, like, what do you say? You can't say, well, we're burning a bunch of cash and, you know, we're coming up with layoffs, but hold tight, don't worry, don't go anywhere. Uh, you know, in the next three months, we're going to lay some people off and like, nobody's going to sit around for three months. Um, so I think people are surprised. I also think there's a second factor going on today is majority of the employees today have never been through a downturn, uh, leaders and employees, and they don't understand layoffs. And if, you, know, you go out to LinkedIn and everybody's bitching about layoffs and how companies are pieces of shit and they can't believe companies are laying people off and they don't care about anything. Well, you know, they asked like, why don't, why don't they do salary reductions of leadership? Oh, what am I going to save a half of a person? Maybe one person I need to cut 10%, not, but not 0.5%. Um, so don't get me wrong. Some of those things are, you know, from a symbolic standpoint might make some sense to do, but it's not going to save the company. And, you know, maybe a 10% layoff saves 90% of the people versus trying to, you know, I read all these things like, Oh, they should keep them employed. They should do like the Japanese, the Japanese never laugh. Uh, I've seen the Japanese economy. It's not been good for uh, Keisen, fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about about fifteen years of zero interest, uh, zero interest rate, and uh, zero growth. Um, so I'm not sure if that's. I mean, it, it dip, I guess it depends on what coin of the capitalism. Well, here, Peter, on. what
1: kind of where I was going with it is, and it's the same cycle that keeps going on. That's why I keep repeating it. If okay, sales. You can do stack ranks, and you can see what was produced from the past, whatever sales cycle was. So you can stack rank people, and you know who should stay, who should go. You can't pre- you can't predict what their future work is. But let's take non-sale in- into account, marketing and finance, all those uh, types of positions. There's a certain part of their pay that's a bonus, right? Is that still going on? Bonuses depends on it. Okay. Well, if there, if there is a bonus, it's based on your job performance, right?
0: Yeah, the problem with bonuses are they become entitlements, which is why I, I'm not a big fan of everybody getting a bonus because any signal, if you take away, if you say the bonus is based on you know, 50% on your individual performance, 50% on the company performance, well, your performance is, eh, we're going to give you half of that. And the company's performance is really crappy. So you're going to get just 10% of that. You're Now you're getting like a 30% bonus. But you were banking on 100 beats. You got 100 like three years in a row. So now the company goes, well, shit, I can't give them just 30%. I'm going to have to give them more than that. Then you throw the whole bonus scale out the window and you make exceptions to the bonus. Uh, They become entitlements. I think commission is easy because it is what it is, but bonuses are a disaster. Um, So, But I will go back. We did, I mean, Jason can attest, we did nine block rankings, so performance and potential. Um, and if you were in the bottom three boxes, the bottom left box or the one above it, the one to the right of it. Um, basically so you're talking you're about in, a quadrant? Yeah, yeah, a quadrant. So it's nine okay. nine, box, nine boxes. You want to be in box number nine, upper right. You don't want to be bottom left. Box one, you don't want to be box two, and you don't want to be box four. Um, but anybody in box one, I asked why they weren't gone. It's just, you know. So it is a form of stack ranking. It's not quite this it's not quite as vicious as like the old Microsoft where you're cutting you know 10 or 20% every or, year. Or or Jack
1: big. Welch, but do you think people should know, hey, if we're going to have a layoff, let's just say it's the bottom you're in the bottom 10%. You should know that. So it's not a surprise. Oh, you got a layoff, you're in the bottom, oh, you don't want to get laid off. Don't be in there anymore.
3: But yeah, it's not Cardi? always the bottom 10%. It's also yeah, the bottom yeah. 10% of the role. Like the role the value of the role is 10%. I think one of the biggest things, depending on the size of the company, um, I, I, you know, a lot of times these sides of the companies, the target audience that the customers are going for, you need to pivot that strategy when the economy goes to crap. So for example, a lot of these venture companies are going after enterprise, you know, nine months ago, they started getting hit with layoffs and the guys in Silicon Valley, you know, they started smelling their own farts and saying, wow, the economy's so bad. Whereas the Midwest and East, wasn't feeling it. The big companies weren't feeling it. They knew it was coming, but they weren't feeling the pressure. If you're selling to the big companies in the, middle, uh, the Midwest and the East, and you're in Silicon Valley nine months ago, you should have probably pivoted your sales strategy then to say, we've got to change it because it's going to take me a while to sell to these companies. And by the time I want to get out of this recession, those companies are going to be going through turmoil right so you got to start thinking the forest from the trees and i think a lot of companies don't especially the smaller ones the vc ones i'm sure the pe ones are all over this but uh at least those are my experience
0: no i was gonna say i don't think i mean the pivot is, is is definitely true i mean i was pushing jason before i left the last role to pivot our messaging around uh creating efficiencies knowing that like companies are looking at how do i do more with less people um i think the the There is pivots necessary, even on small companies, not just enterprise. we didn't sell into enterprise there. Um, But I think that's a great call out is you can't continue the same pitch and the same approach. Um, You know, sales cycles change dramatically. Um, The
1: the messaging needs to change, maybe even your customer. I was going to bring up CEO life. Uh, Peter, you have more experience than me in a boardroom. Uh, There's only been a few times I've been in a boardroom and Nine out of ten times I was asked to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that is 100% true. That is
2: 100% true. It's,
3: it's, 90, it's 90%. By the way, I was in one meeting where Pete literally said, I guess I'm not needed here. Slammed his hand down and walked out. No, there should have been an email. Uh, <laughs> he just threw his
1: hand down like, this is stupid. That's why I do podcasts, podcast, Peter. So CEO <laughs> life, how does it work? Like if you're, if you're, if you're a new CEO, I'm guessing you, you're going to get promoted from a gig that you're currently in. I don't know. And then you, you run the cycle of it and then you're not doing it anymore. And then you wait a period of time to get on with another company. Like what is the that cycle like, and when you first get brought, like, what are the meetings like? Does the chairman meet with you? What, what goes down and how long does it take you to go to a new company and get your gig going?
0: I'll let you know the final answer on that when I
1: get my gig going.
0: Uh, no, it's, uh, you know, I, uh, in between all my jobs, it's been about three to six months. Um, you yeah, know, it's a, it's a very steep pyramid so there's very few CEO positions out there uh and whether or not I want to run that type of business comes down into play um but yeah it is a lot of meetings with the board they want to it's a two-way street and I want to know who the board is and they want to know who I am and um so there's a lot of getting to know each other can you work together um you know in, in this case one of them they they bought my company so they inherited me they didn't have a choice uh, but they did spend time getting to know me because I guess they would have a choice whether or not to fire me. Um, I ended up quitting before they could fire me. They probably were about that eventually going to because there wasn't a, a great synergy. Um, so, you know, the last one, you know, I we sold the company, so I moved on from that board to a new board, um, they didn't also get to pick me. So I've been inherited a couple times. Inherited kind of stinks because neither one knows what the other one's really about and you don't really buy into each other. I actually have a philosophy that on acquisition, no CEO should stay on. Uh, no no board should keep, the no acquirer should keep the CEO, whether or not they keep it for a short period of time, but they should know have a plan to replace with their own person who's bought into their system and wants to do whatever they want to do um and they and they hire them so it's a comfort level whether or not the person's qualified or you know not doesn't sort of matter to me or to my opinion um so you know because there's you know a couple boards i'd probably go work back for and there's a couple i probably wouldn't um it's just personalities of boards um you know, and but what's I mean, the, what's the thesis? What's the, what's the investment thesis? What are they trying to do? do I but does an executive
1: firm reach out to you and say, Hey, uh, so-and-so is interested. Like, who are you meeting with? What's that first, who are you meeting yeah. with first?
0: Nah, it's re, it's recruiters. It's all search. So I'll recru- okay, so re, retain search firms. I've
1: never, I haven't
0: done the, you know, gotten my own person to try and represent and pitch me because I don't, necessarily I'm not that interested in trying to that hard to find a job. Um, maybe if I get in a place where I I feel like I need to, but, um, No, it's yeah. I mean, I I get the the interesting thing is they reach out. The the recruiters are terrible. You know, I was like one year into my job and they're trying to pluck me out. It's like, don't you know, I have equity. And then it actually gets worse as you're like three years in because you're like, I'm definitely not going now. Like, come on folks. Like you should know a CEO is not, unless my life is absolutely miserable. There's no way you're leaving at the three year mark. There's too much on the line. Um, You'd rather be fired and take a severance and maybe exercise some options or hold them for a whole period. Um, And, but um, but yeah, once I actually, once I left my job, I, I got hounded initially quite a bit. I haven't lately, but that's no, fine. I don't care. Um,
1: well, when you, okay, let's just say you get a gig, you like the place, you like the board and all that. Like what's a time period before you can put your own players in place? Cause you have to assess what's going on. I mean, you're the chef. You want to be able to get your own ingredients. How long do you, uh, how long does it take to figure things out? Who wants to play ball? Who doesn't?
0: I'll speak from experience of the last one. Uh, We started in May and I think I had an entirely new leadership team by September. Um, You know, keep, we, we actually kept most employees, uh, just moved them into different roles um, than what they were doing. And most stayed, I think at the one year mark, we'd only lost like 10% of the employees. Um, But yeah, you definitely, I mean, it should, just like a board taking over and the CEO should go when a CEO comes in and uh, Jason's had this happen to him when the new CEO comes in you know the, the current leadership team they weren't hired by that person they don't necessarily have the trust so you're almost interviewing on the job but also knowing that they've already worked with other people that they might want to have whereby you are at a disadvantage depending on how well connected they are uh, out there and, and whether or not they could bring in who they'd want to bring in or not um, so I think it is you know I think the lower you get down, the less risk a new CEO provides to the, but
1: yeah. So you start six months, it's going to take you to get things going, to, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, you, you're, you're weighing, <laughs>
0: you got to keep the wheels going. So it's like, well, it? the, the, the plane's flying, but you got to change the engines out in midair. So, you know, you don't get to land and then, uh, you know, rebuild the plane and then take back off. Yeah, there's that cash flow that you still need coming. So, and then you also, there is potential. I mean, uh, a couple people stayed the entire time on leadership on the last go around. So there were people who, you know, re-interviewed per se and were were fantastic. So not everybody, if you come in and you're like, oh, I'm just going to chop everybody and I'm going to bring in all my own people right away. I don't think
2: that's going to work. I wouldn't do that. Um, Boards and customers and how like customers matter. And most of the time, a a business is catering to the board and the board really wants shareholder value when the reality is you're trying to sell something and help a customer. So I was just thinking, Peter, in the conversations we've had about, you know, the concept of customer first, like, how do you instill customer first in a company and how do you manage to that?
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It can be a conflict with the board for sure. You take my price increase scenario customer first, you wouldn't be just jamming a price increase down their throat without really notifying them or giving them enough notice. You give them whatever's required in the contract, but is that really customer first? Probably not. Um, So that's a, that's a, a a conflict. Um, But I do believe when you take care of the customer, everything takes care of itself from there on out. Um, And are. People will argue, why is it not employee first? It should be employee first, not customer first. You're worried about the customers. Well, without any customers, there's no employees. And for me, as CEO, the employees are first because I don't talk to the customers. But for everybody who talks to the customer, the customer should be first. Um, So we had a value of customer first. It created all sorts of tension because it was like, why is it not employees first? Well, because like individual contributors can't do anything for another employee. What are they going to do? But it's definitely at a conflict uh, at the board level though, I think, and this is where I think it gets a little different. I had my own business for four, 13 years, 12 years, I don't know, something, somewhere in there. Um, and, and, it's, and we had no outside investment. So it was just, you know, my brother and I, we truly put the customer first and it's long-term growth, not at any short-term decision and, you know, great, you know, 42% CAGR over the time. So it was a, a great growth. Um, but controlled and not outrageous, but also fiscally responsible because we didn't take outside money. Um, but the point is, in that case where you don't have a board, you don't have any outside influence, and you're just worried about the long term. You're making all decisions about the customer and you're going after long term value of the customer, repeat purchases, come back, re- which equivalent of renewals and SAS. Um, when you come into boards, they've got a very short term, you know, potentially agendas. Uh, you, know, I've, you know, the last couple I worked with had, you know, three to five year agendas you don't necessarily get to make a 10 year decision for a company who is only there for three to five years. And that's where a lot of conflict comes in. And it makes it difficult because you want to take care of the customer. You want to do the right thing. You want to sign the right contracts, but you know, it might be against the, against it. You know, I'll be honest right now looking at an investment and they're got tons of deferred revenue because they've done these great contracts for customers, three and five year contracts, Huge discount prepays, probably building great loyalty on the customer, but it's creating all sorts of hassle at an acquisition because now they got deferred revenue. So, you know, an incoming PE firm is going to say, stop doing that. Get rid of these long contracts, get rid of the savings because look at all the money you're giving away. And now you're just, you know, going to turn it back around, not to be customer centric. Because if that's what the customer wants, give it to them. Um, So, I don't know if I answered it, but I, I mean, I'm a firm believer though that. If you take care of the customer and you do everything right, if the product is what they want, if the service is what they want, they will pay the right price. The right price might not be the price that you set it at because that might be wrong. Um, But there is a market price out there. uh, And I can tell you that the last company we charged as much or more than our competitors and the product may not have been as good as some of the competitors, but they bought it because of the customer service and the relationships. So um, that goes a long way unless you have a self-service product.
1: Peter, for the listeners and watchers out there that are about to become a CEO because they're watching this show, what's the one thing you wish you would have known before you took your first CEO gig? Uh,
0: Not everybody listens to the CEO. You know, we're, I got to be honest, there's lots of things I wanted done differently. I think what you have to check at the door is that you don't get your way. Um, it seems like you might, right? You're the chief executive officer, you should get whatever you want. Um, I'd say that's probably the biggest aha. And I know for others who have been first times that I've talked to that they, they realize, come to the realization, and it's a head pounding exercise, because you're like, I want X. And the person's like, well, I'm not doing X. But like, well, I told you to. It's kind of a, like parent child relationship. Like you tell your child to do something doesn't mean they do it. They just they may not even listen to you. Um, it's not much different, and I think that's one tough one. And then you get into the, do I tell them they have to, <laughs> and then you're into the spiraling of, am I a, a micromanager because now I'm telling them exactly what I want, how I want it? Well, and then they go, well, why did you hire me? You're just telling me what I wanted, uh, you know. So I think that's the, a little bit different. It's true leadership, and then you got to check it and go, well, I can't necessarily get my way. I mean, there's lots of things like I hated that Jason and his team did, and but I did wasn't going to go i wasn't going to do it myself so it
1: wasn't like <laughs> it's the old uh it's, it's like being a first-time leader it's the authority versus influence thing you know right. you have to play, yeah, you play both you you almost have no authority
0: unless you want to be a author- authoritarian in which case nobody will work for you so now you're, yeah you know it's, it's it's great you get everything you wanted but everybody quit
1: right in right. a boardroom, in a boardroom, could you rank i'm I'm trying to get some clips here. in a boardroom, could you rank if you had to prioritize who are the most important C level people in the room? Uh, the CFO,
0: the probably the CRO or head of sales, and then the CEO comes third for sure. Yeah, we're we're not we're not the you know we're we're there we we're, we're the chef, but we aren't the ingredients. And sometimes the ingredients are more important. So, but the CFOs always loved because they're the ones that uh, have the purse strings.
3: Economy, right?
0: Yeah. I, I remember sitting in, in a,
2: sitting in a board meeting with a, a previous at a previous job, and uh, I was invited in for something specific, but stayed for the whole thing, and. My big takeaway was that I really saw the CEO do their job, which was like manage this room of people and everybody wanted to speak and have an opinion and, and try to get all that out of the table, but try to make it not like we had 85,000 things to do after a board meeting was over. And it was just this, it was truly a management job. Like I got to manage the board, I got to manage the leadership team and that's all I do. I was like figuring out how to do that the best
0: way. Yeah. I'd say that's one of the big roles as CEO is to shield the, the others from the board and from the whipsaw that could happen because the board's opinions can change rapidly. So if you react to every single thing they say, ask, do, Uh, you're gonna be in for a disaster. So part of the job is to listen to all that feedback and and depends on how vocal they are and how involved they are. I've had some very vocal heavily involved and if you reacted to every single one of those, you're gonna whip your 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 team will quit because one day you're like, go left. Next day you're like, go right. Uh, No, nope, double left. It's like, well, no, that's backwards. I'm going backwards then, right? Two lefts, yeah. So, and then they're like, three lefts. And you're like, well, great, I just did a fucking circle.
1: So the second thing is that you want to tell new CEOs take out the board members for a little. I mean, if if, if they do, maybe they like food. You know, let's yeah. uh, let's be cognizant,
0: know your audience. I mean, don't don't take the vegan out to the steakhouse. Yeah,
2: that's like the title of your of your first book. Don't take the vegan out to the steakhouse.
0: What I you? like it. I like it. Will you write? Will you be my ghostwriter? You know, I can't write for shit. Of course. <laughs>
3: PE firms. I always tell people let me you know let me know if this is right or not. Uh their typical investment is 3 years. If they're invested more than 3 years something's gone wrong. Is that true? Or
0: three, f- to, 3 to 5. If it goes past 5 something's definitely gone wrong. 4 is probably a row. Uh before, the four. the thing is before 3 an exit's not going to happen uh most likely Uh, depending on, I guess, the makeup of the PE firm. But um, short of three years, general partners get hit with carried interest uh, penalties. So from a taxation standpoint, they they want like three year on the dot because then they get the highest internal rate of return with the lowest taxes that they can get. Now they'll take short of three if the price is high enough, Um, but you start going past five, your internal rate of return starts getting bad. Um, unless it's continually growing and you're continuing to pump money in and you're doing a roll up, then five may not be terrible. Um, it also would depend on life of the fund. Actually, that's something important for anybody listening uh, that's looking for a job in their own by PE, ask where you are in the cycle. Uh, because if you're at the three-year mark, they might be getting flipped soon. If it's at the five-year mark, you might ask why, um, but there's definitely a, you know, what are they doing? And then if they're investing and rolling, understand. And then lastly, what is the term of the fund? So if it's a 10 year term, and they're at year eight, but they've been investing a bunch, well, they're either out in two, they could extend it, they could recap it, but there's something happening in two, um, most likely. So uh, I think people forget or don't, let me don't forget, they don't even know to ask, you know, where are you in the PE cycle? How much is the PE own? Uh, you know, what's, what is their philosophy, go to their website. You might be able to find it. You might not, um, you know, what is their average hold period? What is their average return? Um, the thing about PE that I think people don't, I know none of our employees and any of the times I've been in PE is the employees aren't reaping any of the rewards of the PE. The only people are reaping the rewards are the general partners and the limited partners. Management somewhat, um, it's a little bit muted. It's not as great as you might think from the outside. VC, um, you get a bunch of stock, but now nah, it's all diluted. So you're just you're just being fooled. You do the math, you find out you your your 150,000 shares equals 0.001 percent. So,
1: <laughs> Peter Masana, thank you so much for coming on the Sassholes podcast. Great, great job. Good shit, man. Hey, yeah,
0: you know Peter. you you guys aren't as much uh, assholes as uh, as I thought. So this has
1: been fun. <laughs> Wait till the final edit. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one and three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment weeks five to seven collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset week eight all go-to-market team presentation and discussion Winalytics build the revenue organization you want request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. ask for Brett and say big pete sent you